0: I got started. It was partnerships. It it was not really all the money out of my pocket. It It was dovetailing things together with some people who had some money, but they didn't have the time to get into investment, which is what a lot of us are looking for as we grow. Welcome to the Lessons in Real Estate show, bringing you information directly from industry leaders in multifamily and commercial real estate. Each week, Anthony Pinto interviews top multifamily experts and digs into the hard lessons learned on their pathways to success. We get real to give you a more comprehensive picture and help you avoid pitfalls others won't tell you about. You'll learn about
1: raising money, growing your portfolio, and attracting investors to your cause. And now your host, Anthony Pinto. Are you in the military, interested, but don't know how to get started in real estate investing? I get it. I was in the exact same boat, but I have good news for you. We have content made just for you. You head over to our website at PintoCapitalInvestments.com. You can hear about how I made the decision to start buying investment properties literally hundreds of feet underwater on a submarine. That's PintoCapitalInvestments.com. But you're here for the show, so let's get into it. Hey learners, and welcome to another edition of the Lessons in Real Estate show. I'm your host Anthony Pinto, and today we are joined by a fellow Virginia investor, John Brinkos. John, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks,
0: Anthony. Appreciate
1: it. Absolutely, absolutely. So, some background on our relationship. I've known John for the better part of a year. Um, we met at one of his flips uh, that he had a meetup there, and beautiful property, by the way. It was it's gorgeous what you did. Um, I appreciate it. Thank you. I I, I think it's flipping is is kind of a, a lost art in my opinion I feel like a lot of people try to get into it and not a lot of people necessarily do it well so you, you did it well so kudos to you on that
0: well, but that was the contractors not me but. <laughs>
1: <laughs> fair enough fair enough um, but what's really interesting about, about you is that you are kind of in this new chic kind of investing realm which is mobile home parks and not a lot of people, necessarily know about mobile home parks is it, it's 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 very much like a kind of a new brand of multifamily investing that a lot of people don't really know how to evaluate and, you know and when they think of mobile home parks they think of like trailer parks and it gives you kind of a certain image <laughs> so so i'm really interested to kind of hear your your career with this so far and the properties that you you kind of accumulated and your in your lessons learned along the way but Let's start with your background, your real estate investing background, and and really your military background as well, because I'm I'm curious about that. Okay, awesome.
0: Um, so uh, I'm dating myself a little bit, but I joined the military in 1988. Wow. Um, so maybe before you were born. Um, but uh, you know, I joined. I got out of high school and knew I wanted to do something engineering. Wasn't really sure that I had the discipline to go to the college and, and and do well. Wasn't exactly the most stellar student when I was a senior in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, so I made the decision that I didn't want to waste the money to go to college. So I joined the military, ended up going into the nuclear power program. So I was an electronics technician in the nuclear power program. I intended on joining for six years and ended up staying uh, for 28, a little over 28 and a half, um, when I finally got out. So it was, it was pretty cool. You know, I made it up to the rank of master chief was a reactor department master chief on the George Bush, one of the Newark, the last Nimitz class carrier that was built, uh, had a great time doing that and was invited to go up to DC and did some stuff as a community manager up in DC and got to get involved with overall policy and, kind of review and making sure we maintain the quality in the nuclear power program in the enlisted side, uh, when I was doing that, which is actually where I got started in real estate. Um, kind of knew I was coming to the end of my career and mm-hmm. knew I was going to have some passive income from my military retirement. And I knew it wasn't going to be enough to get us to where we wanted to be. So we started, uh, Really landed on pretty, pretty thick, pretty quick for what it felt like to me uh, acquiring assets that we knew were going to give us a continual return moving forward. And we my wife and I put together seven properties with 12 units that was specifically designed to be our retirement nest egg with the plan of acquiring another property every single year until we were in our 60s, and then we could start liquidating properties every year to maintain our quality of living while we had medical and retirement from a military career. Um, the real estate bug kind of hit, and uh, after a little while, I decided that wasn't wasn't fast enough and wasn't gonna get us to where we wanted to go. So we we somewhat altered plans and Changed a little bit. So it's one of those things, you know, I joined the military for the, with the intention of going in for six years and getting an education in it and moving on and decided I wanted more. So I stayed and kept growing and same thing happened in real estate. We we got involved. We did a couple things to start taking some steps and decided I wanted more. So we're stepping up our game there too.
1: Solid. So I, I kind of want to delve into this a little bit because I I think your story would resonate with a, a lot of uh, specifically military investors, a lot of people mm-hmm. who you know may have you know fifteen, seventeen, eighteen years in their career and they're looking forward to meeting that twenty year point and retiring and, and moving into a, a separate career, and, and a lot of people that looks at least I've met are turning to look for just like you did supplemental kind of supplemental income to make up for their retirement paycheck um you know to, to kind of keep themselves busy um uh, because you know uh, on face value i mean you're you're essentially retiring at 20 years you're retiring at like 42 you know or early 40s or even 38 depending <laughs> 28 on 28 years i'll right? go past
0: 42 but i'm I'm 50 now so um right I, right
1: but what yeah. but what i'm saying is is it's you know, for for an 18 year old, right. Who goes into the, to the military, you know, at 18 and spends 20 years, you know, they're, they're looking at to retire from the military and get a pension at 38 years old. Right. So, so I I think it behooves, who's, you know, individuals who are, who are near retirement, right. Or, you know, are trying to decide if they want to stay in for another 10, five years or so to get that retirement. Um, because I think your story resonates with a lot of people like, you know, a person that okay. in state and wanting to kind of think about, okay, what's next, you know, what are my other options to build up passive income, right? So that I can focus on, you know, what I truly enjoy in life, right? Traveling, uh, hanging out with family, um, <laughs> doing whatever. Right. And yep. so I, I just, I wanted to point that out because I think that's interesting. So, so let me ask you this kind of a followup question to that. How did you purchase those, Properties? Did you have income built up that you kind of saved and put into a savings account? How did you How did you acquire those properties?
0: Well, the the very first property that I ever acquired was actually with the help of my dad. Um, we we had our own home, and I didn't qualify for a loan for a second piece of property that was specifically an investment piece of property. So we had. Cash saved up, but I was still a first class at the time, so I wasn't making a a lot of money. And it was back in the early 2000s, so it wasn't in the late 2000s where the (laughs) money got really easy to come by. So we had a little bit of challenges finding financing. So my dad ended up co signing on that first property. So he didn't bring any money to the table, but he brought a long history of really solid credit and stable income, uh, that helped me out. So he kind of became a partner, like a silent partner in the deal. I actually still own that home. Um, and now we've increased in value. We bought it for $45,000 and it's what's probably worth, you know, in the hundred area realm, uh, right now. So and it's been stable for a long, long time for us, um, so that's how I came to the first property. But then when I really started getting serious, that was about 2015 time frame that I really started doing a lot with real estate. By that time, we had saved a little bit of a nest egg, not a ton, but a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I was at a real estate seminar, kind of like where you and I met. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was at a seminar in Northern Virginia. I met a gentleman who I'm still partners with. Um, He's actually my partner with the mobile home park. Uh, We met up. He and I talked for a little while. He became a secondary, uh, a second mortgage for us. So we bought property. We put about half the down payment down. He brought the other half of the down payment and some money to do uh, really my first burr buy, rent, renovate, and Mm -hmm. rent uh, refinance. And without him i wouldn't have probably wouldn't have probably gotten started as fast as i did but we got that property under our belt we moved on from there and went to a couple wholesalers and closed on the next two properties fairly quickly after that sold one of those off did a flip moved on from there and bought a package of so i bought a package off the mls that was Two duplexes, a single-family home, and a fourplex as one package. So we negotiated that back and forth. Um, my partner, I met came in on that deal with us and did some financing. And we bought that and did full renovations on two of the homes. and did something that a lot of people find really unusual. And we converted a duplex back to a single-family home. Nice. Um, and we still have those properties also. That's that's seven of our main nest egg that we've put together right now. Um, since then I've gone on and established another partnership with another gentleman, also another military member. Um, he and I own a fourplex and a couple duplexes and uh, seven single family homes in a different partnership. And then the most recent acquisition we have is, a, and this is with the first partner I met, Mm-hmm. We have a 70-unit mobile home park now that we we have purchased out in Cincinnati, so it, it's wow. just been step after step after step. And mm-hmm. I think I think I delved away from your question a little bit, but yeah, uh, really yeah. where yeah. I got started it was partnerships. It, it was not really all the money out of my pocket. It was it was dovetailing things together with some people who had some money, but they didn't have the time to get into investment, mm-hmm. which is what a lot of us are looking for as we grow.
1: So I think that's a really good point And I want to, I want to hammer on that. So learners, if you're, if you're listening to what he's saying, you know, he didn't have a million dollars, you know, or $2 million to go buy a whole bunch of properties, <laughs> no. right. You know, he, he wasn't rich right off the gate and, and went and bought these properties. Right. You know, and, and he didn't let money stop him from finding the deals and getting the deals done. Right. And I think that's a, that's a common limiting belief that people have is, you know, you know, I don't have, a ton of money in the in, in the bank. Like how am I supposed to buy these properties? You know, how am I supposed to put a down payment on How am I supposed to have uh, reserves and all this stuff? And the answer is, is you find someone who does, right? You yep. joint venture with some people, right? Or do a syndication, but it sounds like what you really did was with joint venture with people who had the money and you had the knowledge and the time and the experience to go hustle, find the deal, get it under contract, do everything that needed to be mm-hmm. done to it, right? Um, So you just didn't have the money for it. And it sounds like you just kind of kept building up those different joint ventures and got to the point where now, I mean, you're, you're in pretty big on a, on a, uh, on a mobile home park. So I I think that's really key. If you, if you guys didn't catch that is that if you don't necessarily have money, that is not, that is not an excusable limiting belief, right? Because there, are no, it's Yeah. There's, you got it. What happens
0: is you have to make the decision that you're going to do it. Mm -hmm. Once you make the decision, you take all the options off the table that you're not going to get it. So all the excuses absolutely go away and you figure out a way to get it done. But it's all about making the decision that you're going to do something that is uncomfortable because that first property or two properties or three properties. I mean, heck, the first three were single family homes. And then I jumped from there straight up to acquiring nine units all in one shot over four properties so it's just a decision that you're going to continue to do what you're going to do and that this is the way you're going to build your future if you don't make that decision and commit
1: to it you're not going to be successful love it i love it perfect freaking perfect mindset love it all right so let's get into the we really want to talk about which is mobile home parks i think this is a is, is good topic so so you got into the 77 unit you know and in, in for multifamily specifically, like it, you're looking at, you know, 100 to 200 deals before you find one that typically pencils out. <laughs> yes. So is that yes. common in mobile home parks? I mean, I, I, this is coming from a kind of a, a place of ignorance. I don't know how many mobile home parks there are compared to multifamily. So can you kind of give us a background on that?
0: So there's a lot less mobile home parks than there are multifamily that are out there. And it's actually a... Um, it's an industry that is not expanding. Um, the chance of getting a mobile home park built from scratch is almost nil right now. Mm-hmm. They, um, So they, there's a phrase that you're here in the mobile home park industry called NIMBY, not in my backyard. Um, nobody wants to have a mobile home park built in their backyard. So most city councils don't want to have mobile home park built because... There's children that are there. You're putting you're putting families in a community and the taxes that are generated from that community are fairly small. So most city councils do not want to see mobile home parks expand nor be built anymore either. So there's multiple competing things against the development of any more mobile home parks. So it is a commodity that there's not going to be any more construction in for the most part. So it relies on mobile home park investors to go in and better and improve and stabilize mobile home parks that have been around for a long time. They are a huge asset to society, in my opinion, because they do provide stable, safe, community-style housing for individuals that are not capable of investing tens of thousands of dollars into purchasing a home for themselves. Most people in mobile home parks do not rely on Section 8 subsidy. They're actually just stable, blue-collar workers that are working in restaurants and your waitresses and working in Walmart and working at McDonald's and they're serving people all day long and they go home to this safe community amongst friends and live just like people that are making hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's just, they're looking for a place to have a home of their own. And this is a way for them to have a home. So, and I think that's kind of, I look at it as, um, you know one of the things i started off doing with single family homes was i was running to section 8 to provide a safe place for uh families single mothers and single fathers to have a place to raise their kids that was safe and stable and this is just kind of the next step forward it's just a place where we can build a community of people that need a community
1: and yeah, no, i never really thought about it like that that's that's interesting um that a not, not a lot of new properties are being built um so that, that is interesting to me that, you know, it, it's kind of a, a, a precious resource. And I can imagine that that, that's, that really drives up the competition for a lot of these um, types of parks.
0: I don't think it drives the competition up significantly because, it's, like you said, it's one of those strange alternative niches of the commercial real estate industry mm-hmm. that there's just not that many people. It's getting more attractive, which is driving the price up by all means but there's still just not that many people that are out there and there are thousands of mobile home parks that are out there that have been in families or uh, we call it mom and pop so mom and pop built this and maybe we're giving it to them from their parents and some of the mobile home parks have been in families for generations three four generations and they eventually get to a point where maybe the kids do not want to be running the mobile home park. They just want to take the paycheck from it. So the investors that are out there right now are networking with mom and pops and there's a whole lot of cold calls that is leading to success in the industry. So if you're getting into this, you find a lot more success via cold calls, not so much mailers, but you're trying to establish a long-term relationship with the mom and pop who have probably owned this mobile home park for 30, 40 years and have used it as their method of developing something to give to their generations that follow. And, you know, we're coming in and making it beautiful again, like it was when they built it and when they developed it.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. So there is there, you're right. There is not any more being built and there is competition that's there, but I just don't think the competition is, um, is being, priced out quite as much as multifamily in general is right now there's still easily times where you can find three four percent spreads between interest rates and the cap rate that you're buying mobile homes at i know when the marina shores that your team just bought Mm -hmm. i believe you guys were buying it at like a six cap six and a half cap if i'm not mistaken Mm -hmm. yeah um like we're buying the mobile home park we're buying at an eight cap and we still have probably in the first year, we'll develop $30,000 a year more income by putting a utility billing system in place. So the upside that comes in the mobile homes, the mobile home park is phenomenal right now. It's fairly easy to still keep that three to 4% cap rate spread between interest rates and where you're buying
1: the park. Interesting. huh? Yeah. So I, you know, I never really thought about that um you know the the interest or not the interest the cap rates for for mobile homes being different than multifamily I guess I never really thought about that, but I guess you know i it goes to makes sense that if you evaluate cap rates from a risk standpoint, right, the less risky markets are the ones that have higher cap rates, like your new York cities your San francisco's right your Seattles, and it the cap rates tend to go higher, you know or it'll get larger when you have a lot you have a, more risky properties that you're dealing with. Right. I mean, if you, if you look at it from what your eight, your 10 caps are, those are not typically the best neighborhoods, right. Or they're probably in a tertiary exactly. market or so. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting to me that, you know, you're seeing those kinds of cap rates in it and um, kind of corresponding to the, uh, I guess the the desire for those types of properties. So. Um, and that's
0: where it is. I mean, you're, you're going to see, you see mobile home parks that are into five caps. Um, you know, uh, uh, you I'm sure you know who Sam Zell is, or you've heard of the name Sam Zell, but he was actually one of the largest mobile home park owners at one point in the country. Uh, and he owned a lot of stuff along coastlines. Um, you can hear a lot of that story. If you listen to his book, you know, if am I being too subtle, mm-hmm. phenomenal book, but um, he had a lot of home mobile homes that were four and a half, five, six caps in California, in Florida, in Miami area, in really high-end residential areas uh, and was successful at it. But that's what the niche he was. That's just not the niche that most mobile home park owners are. Most mobile home park owners are in the 40 to 70 unit properties that are in blue collar areas of cities. And most people are trying to stay in fairly larger, major metropolitan areas. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the targets that we focus on is we want to be over 150,000 people in the metro where we're buying. We don't want to be in smaller rural areas because it's harder to keep occupancy just the same way it is in general multifamily. A lot of things parallel. Um, You know, you're looking for growing markets. We're looking for growing markets.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Multifamily property, you're looking for something where you can develop some sort of uh forced appreciation in the property we're looking for the same thing we're looking for ways that we can generate forced appreciation property in mobile home parks that can come through some different things than you what you see in mobile in multifamily properties i mentioned rubs most multifamily, there's not a solid way to do rubs whereas in a mobile home community you can by doing different things you can actually go in and install water meters at the individual homes or you can have a third party company come in and develop a utility billbacks or utility billing system mm-hmm. where they pay you. And then they charge the tenants for, or the residents generally. Cause one of the things that we're looking for with mobile home parks also is, well, I, what I focus on is I want most of the homes to be owned by the tenants. I do not want to own the homes. Mm-hmm. I want people that are living there that actually own their own homes, and are looking forward to become a community of homeowners that are really focused on taking care of their asset, which is the mobile home. That's a little bit of a different philosophy between general multifamily and the mobile home side. So I, I've talked about a few different things, so.
1: Yeah, yeah, so, so <clears throat> that leads me to think about something else. So, you know, with multifamily, you know, you obviously are taking care of the common areas, right? Uh, of the apartment you know the lawn care um, you know sometimes depending on how the buildings um, wired or set up for water you may be covering a certain amount of utility. so what as a owner of a mobile home park are you are your typical expenses if you go and buy a property and, and how do those kind of compare to multifamily
0: okay um and I think like multifamily it's gonna depend a little bit um There are times where you're buying a a property that's a multifamily property where you're paying water and that's it. There might be another property where you're paying electric and gas Mm -hmm. also, or you might be paying gas to provide hot water heating to everybody if you're in a northern city um, where you're dealing with the gas for the hot water, but all the electric is individually metered. Mm -hmm. Mobile home park, it's the same way. It's going to depend usually... The tenants are paying for their own electric and their own gas. The utility bill back system that I discussed is normally billing back water and sewer because it's on one main line with one meter that the city reads, Mm -hmm. normally at the street that feeds the mobile home park. There are different ways that you can do it. There are a lot of cities that are out there right now that on the newer parks that are like 70s and 80s and newer, where you may have individual meters already set up and the city is billing the tenants directly and you don't even get involved in the water and sewer that's kind of that's the higher end niche of i think what everybody would love to be able to walk into is is all utilities are being billed directly to the tenants so you don't have to touch it at all but nine times out of ten you're paying for water and sewer unless you have a utility billing or a meter reading system set up already Interesting. Other Matt. than that, you do have to deal with common areas. But in general, the tenants are taking care of their yards. They're taking care of their home. They're taking care of their deck that they normally are walking in and out of. They're taking care of their fence and keeping their fence up to date. They're planting their gardens. They're taking care of keeping the house painted. There's most of the stuff that you're going to deal with when you deal with a multifamily property that the tenants are actually focused on, particularly when you have tenant owned homes. Now, if you are doing kind of a flat rental where you're renting all the homes and the park owner owns all the homes, you really don't walk away from any of that maintenance. You're dealing with all of that maintenance, just like you would with a with a multifamily property, Mm -hmm. but you do have common area maintenance that you're dealing with. Um, You do have things like if you're on a well, you're taking care of the well and you're maintaining the water quality and all those things. Mm -hmm. If you're on a septic system, a lot of times the owner of the park is responsible for maintaining the septic and keeping the septics pumped when they need to be. Um, You're responsible for all the infrastructure. You're responsible for keeping the roads up to date. You're responsible for removing trees if trees need to be removed. You're responsible for taking care of Water mains up to the point where they connect into the home—all all those things—and in the infrastructure, just like multifamily, are the owner's responsibility
1: with mobile home parks. Interesting. Okay, yeah, that, that thats answer- good information. Now, uh-huh. yeah, that—that's re- that's really good information to know because I think it's, um, you know, I, I can say I can see a lot of similarities in how you would evaluate a mobile home park compared to a multifamily, um, with what's a, I guess, a couple different nuances. But I mean, again, I kind of it. it I guess it really comes down to the individual property and how you evaluate that, right? I mean, the incomes are going to be different, the property is going to be different, the setup for the infrastructure is going to be different. And, you know, if the property, if the you know the homes are owned by the tenants or not, you know, makes a huge difference, right? So, um, I, I see a lot of similarities there. So, um, and it,
0: it, just to to amplify one thing you said, mm-hmm. the sure. biggest difference between mobile home park investors is is the mobile home park investor going to want to deal with the maintenance of the homes. That is going to create a significant difference in the way you evaluate them if there are a large percentage of park-owned homes in the park. Because the park-owned homes are going to generate a different income than the tenant-owned homes. Because the park-owned homes, the tenant is renting the home and the lot. Whereas if it's a tenant-owned home, they're simply renting a lot. Sometimes the park-owned home may develop twice the income that a tenant-owned home does. So it may, on the front side, create twice the revenue. But on the back side, because you have increased expenses, Hmm. sometimes the expenses are, quite frankly, not enough to make up for the extra income, which is why a large majority of long-term hold mobile home park investors are really focused on high percentage of tenant owned homes. They can relieve themselves of the maintenance costs. So,
1: yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I can see why it would behoove the owner to, you know, put the onus on more on the tenant, because then then I mean, it not only less maintenance costs, but you're talking about a tenant that owns their property has more ownership of the property itself, right? They're more likely Absolutely. to take care of a leaking toilet, you know, they're more likely to, you know, fix the gas that might be leaking or, you know, fix this or that that they otherwise wouldn't necessarily care about because they don't own the property. So yeah, I think that's a that's kind of a good call. And, um, and I, I think it's, it's kind of along the same lines with multifamily, you know, if, if the tenant is paying for water or electricity, you know, if it's coming out of their own pocket, they're more likely to be conscious conscious about mm-hmm. the utilities that they're using, right? In energy conservation and calling in a leak for their tub or something along those lines, right? So I, I think it gives a certain uh, sense of ownership to put the put it back on the tenants, right? And then you know, and now you kind of develop a more of a sense of community. Within the deal, instead of hey, this is my property that I'm going to rent, and then eventually I can move on, right? It's now a home, right? It's now a community. It's now something that you own a little piece of, and I and I think that's something, a little bit of pride that goes with that too, right? Much like owning a home as a you know a 22 year old, you know you, get, you just get out of college, you go get your first job, and you buy a home like that type of sense of, of purpose and ownership. I can see that would would be kind of the same kind of thought process for you know owner tenant owned homes. So I, I see that, that being a, a really good Absolutely.
0: idea. Well, and not only that, if you think about it in, in any residential real estate investing, whether it's single family rentals, whether it's small multis, whether it's large multifamily properties, mm-hmm. the holy grail is to get to a point where your average tenant turnover is four, five, six years. In a mobile home community, they own the home. And mobile is a misnomer because pretty much once they're set, they don't move. They're not mobile. They're mobile in the fact that they get taken in and set and tied down to the infrastructure that is there for them on the pad. But after that, I think think the last thing I heard in the Mobile Home University podcast that I listened to. I I think the last thing I believe Frank Rolfe said something to the nature of 98% of mobile homes never leave the spot where they're delivered to. So when you think that they're mobile, they're really not. So the owner, people that own their homes are generally staying there for long-term, you know, unless something significant changes in their life. Sort of like when you buy a home. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, that's, that's an interesting thought. Yeah, I never, I never really thought about the fact that, you know, those, it's, it's a different mindset for those people. And you're you're talking more of a single family home type of mindset of those types of owners versus like a multifamily where, you know, they can be transient or move to a different place that has better amenities, you know, they're, they're in it for the long run. So I can see what that would make, you know, hardier long term tenants more valuable. Right. And, and, yeah. and keeping them in those properties more valuable. So. Absolutely. It, absolutely. So I, I, you know, we're running short on time here. So I, I know we talked about, um, you know, the property, you know, often the, the best deals are the deals that we don't do. And I know that we <laughs> talked a, a bit about some properties that you decided not to go with um, before you found the 77 units. So, so let's talk about those before we uh, get into the snapshot round here. Okay.
0: Sounds great. Um, Well, we, So the deal that we actually are closing now, uh, is a year into the process of us actually looking to acquire homes. So through thousands of evaluations, we went under contract on four different mobile home park purchases. Mm -hmm. The first one we went under contract on, we were really excited about it, was in Illinois, was two parks together, uh, I flew out to Illinois and was doing my due diligence and walked into the city council or the city offices and started talking with the city and went by and looked at tax records. Cause it's kind of a little bit of a smaller area and had some susp- suspicions when I left Virginia beach to fly out there that I was going to find things that I didn't want to find in the mm-hmm. tax records. And sure enough, I got there and figured out that the owners actually only owned about 10% of the land that the mobile home park was on. Because when they bought it, the sale records didn't get filed correctly. So 20 years earlier, when they bought the property, the actual 30 extra acres (laughs) that encompassed about 90% of where the mobile homes were and the 20 extra acres of woodland we were buying in the back Mm -hmm. were actually not owned by the seller. Um, so somewhat unusual, you don't normally see stuff like that with multifamily property because it's usually on one tax stamp. Sometimes with mobile home parks, you find them on multiple tax stamps. So when we uncovered that, we brought it back to the owners. The owners had no idea that that was even an issue. Um, so we backed out of the contract and said, look, we're standing by, we're ready to go. Um, and we like to move forward as soon as the records are straight. And turned out that they ended up leaving the broker that we were dealing with and sold it to somebody else that they knew. Uh, I found that out like a week later after I called them directly because I lost track of the broker and uh, so we lost out on that deal because we found problems with the taxes. Mm-hmm. The next deal we went into was a deal in Arkansas, and it would have been a uh, hundred and four pad park which we were really excited about it because we were buying it for $100,000. So imagine a 104-pad park for $100,000, but out of the 104 pads, only about 15 were occupied. Um, wow. So we knew we were going in and we were going to have to occup- renovate a lot of homes. We were going to have to do a lot of of heavy lifting to get the park where it was going to be. Well, when I was there touring the park, I found a bunch of things that concerned me And we never even ordered the phase one environmental because we saw um, it looked like they took a lot of the old heating oil tanks that the homes had and threw them in the woods behind the park. So we raised some questions. We said we were going to not move forward with finalizing the contract and putting earnest money down until we um, had the phase one results back. And at that point, the, the seller that was with the wholesaler, the wholesaler and the seller both said, now we're, we're not interested in moving forward. So we walked away from that one before we even got into due diligence. Mm -hmm. Uh, the third park we went into was another combination of parks in the Cincinnati area, which ironically is awesome because it got me really familiar with the Cincinnati market, which led me to the one that we're closing that we're, that we just closed on and just purchased. So, Mm -hmm. uh, it did lead me from point A to point B. So sometimes the bad gets you to the good, as you talked about. Sometimes the best deals you walk away from are, are the best deals are the ones you walk away from. Mm-hmm. Um, that combination of mobile home parks, we ended up with challenges in financing because one park was a hundred percent park owned homes that were in fairly significant disrepair. And the other park was a hundred percent tenant owned homes. So, the bank was willing to lend to us on tenant-owned homes, but withdrew financing on the park-owned home park, so half the deal went away. Um, the owner was unwilling to finance, so we went and looked for bridge financing to get a bridge loan so we can convert them to from park-owned homes to tenant-owned homes. The bridge financing was virtually hard money financing for single-family flips, which when you're talking about a half million dollars on a mobile home park that you have a lot of challenges converting over to tenant-owned homes, it just was too much, too costly. It just wasn't a good enough deal. So we walked away from that. When we walked away from that one, um, a few months later, we ended up connecting with the seller who's who sold us the park that is about 15 minutes North of where those two parks were. So again, walked away from a deal that we thought was going to be a bad deal into this deal where we're really excited about and uh, things are moving really forward really well with us on that deal. So um, there's some challenges. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure you've done a lot of evaluations on multifamily properties and went under your contract on some and walked away during the due diligence. And it's, that's part of the, the challenge that I think we as military have a hard time Mm -hmm. realizing when it comes to the real estate side of things, we're so, we're going to get it done. We're going to get it done. We're going to get it done. I'm going to drive to the end. And I really think the mindset in real estate has to be, I'm going to drive to make sure the numbers are right and the facts are straight. And I'm going to dig to get the base facts. And at that point, then I'm going to make another decision. Am I going to continue to pursue the deal or am I going to walk away from the deal? That's the whole reason why in commercial real estate, you have the due diligence period. So you can do your investigation and figure out, does the deal still make sense even though you're under contract? That's very different than the single family side where normally you're going to walk through and close on the deal because there's not enough. I shouldn't say there's not enough headaches. The the headaches are smaller on one property Mm -hmm. To get to close than they are on a large scale multifamily property where you could have environmental issues that come into play where you could have books that have been cooked a little bit where you could have just books that are quite frankly not accurate so when you actually sit down and start to run and back trace the numbers you figure out that hey i'm going from a property that i thought i was buying at a seven cap to it's really actually operating at a five cap and now there's not enough spread between the interest rates and the cap rate for me to even make cash flow it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just got to be ready to walk away from deals. If it's not a good deal, it's not a good deal, period. You can't, usually, you can't twist it into making it a good deal unless the owner's willing to get creative with you. Yes. So you just got to be careful.
1: Hey, that's smart. I mean, trust the numbers, <laughs> trust the numbers in the end. Yeah. Don't, don't buy off of the motion. It's
0: not just the numbers. Like I said, there's environmental issues that come Mm -hmm. into play with some of the stuff. And, and again, you can't trust, trust the numbers you're presented. You got to go back, test the numbers and make sure they're right. So you can't just trust their numbers. You got to trust your numbers more than their numbers. Right.
1: So makes sense. Love it. Love it. That was a great, a great breakdown. Yeah. And uh, I think that, um, you know, you did a. You got a lot of lessons learned there, right? And <laughs> and luckily, it yep. sounds like you didn't spend a. You didn't have to spend a lot of money to get to that point, right? And and I think that it, kind of the key kind of points from that are in in doing due diligence, whether it's mobile home parks or multifamily, right? Do as much due diligence as you can. That's free, before you start yep. spending money, right? Because I feel Absolutely. often, <clears throat> unless the property is like in serious disrepair. The issues that you're going to have are probably the issues that you can find doing a free breakdown of the finances or the rent roll, yes. or, you know, the contract with some, you know, with this or that, right. Or, you know, finding out how you can cut expenses for the property. You know, there, there's a lot of different things you can do for free. And I think that's a good lesson learned here is do as much as you can up front before you start putting real money down, Right. Before you start going hard on EMD, because worst case scenario, you find this property, you you know kind of do half-hearted due diligence. You keep going through with it. You find some issue during due diligence. Now that you've spent you know ten thousand dollars to do an inspection, and now you know you're risking potentially losing EMD plus the ten grand you just lost on the inspection. Right? It makes the stakes a little higher. So that I think that's kind of a good point to kind of take away from that. Um, that you can kind of, yeah. kind of touch on there so hey okay, so what's uh, we're getting to the end of the show let's get in the snapshot round if you're ready for it okay let's go awesome all right here we go all ahead plank cavitate snapshot tube tube John first question <clears throat> what is your number one failure in real estate waiting till I
0: was in my late 40s to get started I think was my number one failure. If I go back and back test everything, if I could go back to my early thirties, when I bought my first home, I just kind of think about where I would be now. Had I kept, kept my nose to the grindstone and didn't get scared,
1: you know? Love it. So, okay. So follow up to that. What, and what nugget of investing knowledge do you have to give to someone who is just starting out, you know, whether they're 20, 30, 40,
0: learn as much as you can, but don't let learning stop you from getting started. Um, I think you can learn as you go, but there are some, a book or two can provide enough of a baseline to walk into a deal. And coaching will help you get through the deal. So I think there's, I I guess I kind of hit on three points. don't wait until you're totally comfortable because it's a, it's gotta be something that you're pushing yourself towards and you're always gonna be scared when you're doing that. So don't wait until you're comfortable because if you do that, you'll never get started. You make yourself more comfortable by learning. So go learn and teach yourself and read. And then when you're ready to go, find somebody who can be a mentor for you that has been there and done that. That's what the whole idea behind the real estate meetups, uh, your local networking events that you can go to. Heck just go talk to a real estate agent who has helped an investor buy a home and see if they're willing to create a contact. And you go buy a guy, a girl, a cup of coffee, who has already bought an investment property and talk to them. But don't wait until you're comfortable. Cause if you do that, you're never going to get started.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that that's I mean that's a good point. A lot of the properties you find are not gonna fit into a perfect box. Absolutely. You know, they're not they're not gonna be the perfect ten percent return with a little amount that you have <laughs> to do, you know, that's cash flowing from day one. It's just not it just doesn't happen like that. So I think that's a really Absolutely. good point. All right, uh what is one uh number one thing that's contributed to your success?
0: Uh, you know, I'm trying to, I don't, I don't want it to sound like it's conceited, but making the decision that I'm going to do it is the number one thing. Like I said before is you're going to be uncomfortable, but if you make the decision that you're going to do this period, you're going to go find the mentor. You're going to go find the people that are going to help. You're going to go read the books. The number one thing that I can, that has contributed to my success is making a decision that this is the way that I'm going to create generational wealth for
1: my family. That's, that's the thing that led to success. I love it. Commitment, true commitment yep. and take almost taking the leap of faith in and in, in knowing that yep. it will, it'll work out right. All right. And then the last question, what is your dream, John?
0: Uh, I guess the dream that drives me the most or the thing that's driven me the most is, We as military members have kind of not been in control of most of the things that we have to deal with in life. Mm -hmm. Um, I had to leave my kids. I had to not be there at times where I wanted to be there. Uh, I couldn't make the decisions that I always wanted to make. So my biggest dream is to never have to answer to anyone else about what I want to do, where I want to go, how much it's going to cost. Do I have the time to take time off of work? I I just don't want to have to answer to anyone else. I don't want to have to answer to the credit card company because I just don't have enough money to go do it. I want to have enough money that I can do what I want, when I want, where I want, with who I want.
1: So freedom, I guess, freedom, freedom.
0: (laughs) it's the real thing.
1: Freedom, I love it, awesome. Well, John, I appreciate you uh, coming on the show here today. I definitely learned a lot, and I think our learn as well as well about mobile home parks and, and kind of your experience so far. So if people want to reach out to you and find out more about you, where can they go?
0: Um, the easiest thing to do would be uh, – my email is really simple, john.brinkos at gmail.com. Send me an email. Uh, I'm more than happy to talk or set some – time up where we can email back and forth or heck if you're in the Hampton Roads area or you're in Cincinnati and I come out to Cincinnati to go check out the park, you know, maybe we can get together and get some coffee
1: sometime and absolutely. Talk. Perfect. So, and and we'll include that in the show notes as well. But John, I've I've really enjoyed having you on. Um I know we've been kind of pushing for this for a while, so I appreciate you uh you find the time to to do this today. And um yeah I, I definitely learned a lot and I think uh I think you're, you're going to do well with the mobile home park. So I'm excited to see how, you know, when you get to your 1,000 or 2,000 or 3,000 units, <laughs> where you're going to be in a, in a few years. So I'm excited to kind of see your, your journey. So appreciate you coming on again, John.
0: Awesome. I appreciate it so much. And, you know, congratulations on you and your team on Marina Shores. I appreciate um, it. Uh, I've been driven by. I've seen some stuff going on over there. I'm still looking for that tour. So <laughs> we got to get Absolutely. something set up with that.
1: Yeah, we'll get, you, we'll get you in there. We'll, we'll have Phil go take you fishing or something out on the pier, too. <laughs> awesome. Sounds like a plan. Awesome. We'll take care, John. Okay, thanks. Take care. Be safe out there in Japan. Thanks, man. You too. One more thing before we go. I want to be real for a second. If you are enjoying the show, please leave us a five-star rating and review. It goes a long way to promoting the show and continuing to bring you great content from stellar guests. I read every rating and it helps you develop the best practices and give you the best possible version of me and the show. If you have any comments, recommend topics, or guests, you can reach out to me at anthony at pintocapitalinvestments.com and we can connect. That's all I have folks. Catch you next time on the Lessons in Real Estate Show.